You're listening to Uncommon Democracy, a podcast shining light on the unique stories of everyday people who have a positive impact on their communities. Here is your host of Uncommon Democracy, Philip Oroka. Hey everyone, just want to say a quick thank you for listening to Uncommon Democracy. And before we get to our conversation with Jim Carruthers, uh, the mayor of Traverse City, Michigan, I wanted to remind everybody that you really need to vote here in November 2020. Uh, no matter who you vote for, this is a very important election uh, for our country. We're at a very much of a crossroads right now with the pandemic, uh, social and racial injustice, uh, and uh, a lot is on the ballot here in 2020. And for our Illinois listeners, uh, if you participated in one of the last three elections, uh, so what that means, the 2020 primary, the 2019 ge- uh, general consolidated election, or the 2018 general election, uh, a ballot application, not a ballot, a ballot application is going to be sent to your home. Uh, you can fill out that application, send it back, and a mail-in ballot will be sent to you. Uh, it's a great way to keep your family safe during the pandemic. I've already received my application uh, along with my wife's. Uh, so we're going to get those applications sent back to our county clerk's office uh, and receive our ballot. Uh, it's a great way, again, to keep your family safe here in 2020 with a lot of uh, concern about the pandemic. Uh, and it'll be a great way to continue to participate in our democracy. And without further ado, here is our conversation with Mayor Jim Carruthers of Traverse City, Michigan. Well, Jim Carruthers, thank you so much for joining me on Uncommon Democracy. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Uh, we've known each other for probably 15 or 20 years. Uh, and just w- to our listeners at home, this is the first podcast uh, for Uncommon Democracy, where we're doing the conversation in person. We're very cognizant of social distancing, so we're sitting outdoors. We're six feet apart from each other. Uh, We've got airflow coming through the little deck here, so everything's great. But um, I wanted to start off, Jim, with just kind of learning more about you and your background. You know, you're the mayor of Traverse City, Michigan, uh, but you didn't grow up here. Could you kind of Tell me a little bit about your story, how you ended up uh, settling here in, in the wonderful city of Traverse City. Well, Phil, thanks for having me, and thanks for coming together to chat about you know, me and Traverse City and sort of our shared lifestyle. I mean, um, both you and I were have the good fortune of being able to be summer residents of Traverse City, and that's kind of what brought me, more or less, to live full-time in Traverse City. Um, I grew up... I'm born in Cincinnati, um, spent all my summers up here with my grandparents and my family, um, ended up moving to um, the East Coast around New York City when I was very young, when my parents divorced, and spent most of my you know, early years um, in Connecticut, suburban New York City, ended up at University of Connecticut, graduated, mom retired to Florida, I said, what do I do, moved to Boston, hung out in Boston for a number of years, and really enjoyed um, sort of the urban lifestyle on the East Coast and and the accessibility of, you know, Maine and Vermont and New Hampshire and the Cape and everything that Boston had to offer. But, you know, my roots were really were a Midwesterner. You know, I'm from the Midwest. I think the Midwesterners mm-hmm. are the middle of the country. We're, we're friendlier. We're nicer. We're, we're more engaging. Um, but my grandmother was legally blind. So, 
and she wanted to be up in up in northern Michigan for the summer. So someone in the family really had to be here for her. And I always joke with my friends, I always say vinyl siding brought me to Traverse City. <laughs> my grandmother wanted to put vinyl siding on our 100-plus-year-old cottage, and I said, no, 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 I will be up to paint it. So I packed up my Volkswagen and put my stuff in storage in Boston and put a 13-foot Peapod rowing dinghy on the roof, and I drove here and ended up in northern Michigan and cared for my grandmother for the summer and painted her cottage. And then I ended up not leaving. I was considering going further west, you know, going out to the Colorado mountain town. I was a skier, wanted to experience all that, but I kind of fell in love with Traverse City. I had never seen Traverse City in the wintertime, oddly enough. And, and in winter's pretty harsh up north, but, you know, it's fun to some extent. You got to really enjoy the outdoors. I mean, snowshoeing and skiing and, and, and ice fishing and, and just playing in the wintertime. There, there's things to do, but, but it was really fun to be a summer resident and then all of a sudden be here for the winter. Um, but and that was back in 1989, and and here I am. I'm in, still in Traverse City, and I'm the mayor of Traverse City. So that's beautiful. And your you know your love clearly for for this um, this great place really has shown through in your commitment to trying to work through uh, local government, whether it's being uh, a commissioner uh, on the Parks and Rec board. Um, but you decided to run for, for mayor. Why did you want to run, and you know, really what issues did you want to try to tackle during your, your and I think you're in your third term as mayor right now? Correct. Third term okay. as mayor, and I was two four-year terms as city commissioner and two four-year terms as park and recreation commissioner prior to that. Well, when I first got here, it was like trying to figure out what to do and historic preservation and conservation and conservation easements and land management and all that were things that really interested me. So I was always aware of the environment and the beautiful North Woods and, and we locally have been trying to protect a lot of those, those areas. Plus, we live in a very historic place and we have a long history. Your family has been you know, coming to this area since the late 1800s. So we've been, I was always looking into ways to preserve the, the, what what we have, but also grow um, um, reasonably um, for the future. So getting involved in the city, um, I was very much involved in human rights. I'm being an openly gay man. Um, human rights were very important to me. And moving from the East Coast where, I mean, we've had our difficulties, but I lived in Boston. It was a much more liberal town. And coming to northern Michigan in the late 80s, early 90s, it was a difficult time for me because diversity wasn't here. It's a very homogenous community. I mean, Native American culture is strong here. We don't have a lot of people of color. Um, the Hispanic population was something we all grew up with working in the cherry orchards because we're the cherry capital of the, the country and, and, and migrant workers. So we saw diversity, but it wasn't like what we experienced living in urban areas. So being involved in human rights, renewable energy was something that I was very strongly supportive of. We worked to get the um, first um, municipal grade wind generator up on the hill there on M72 here placed in Traverse City. I was very involved in that campaign. Um, plus, we had some growth and development issues early on. We had a lot of developers coming to town, as we do today, but really trying to overdevelop Traverse City. And some of the projects that were being um, introduced were 
in my opinion, didn't, didn't meet our master plan. I mean, w most cities have master plans and most cities have, you know, methods to manage their growth through the planning that we do um, with the various committees and with through public engagement. So we basically tried to encourage developers to meet the, the process through our master planning, the way we've decided we want to grow it. And a developer came to town and wanted to build a big four-story parking deck with four stories of luxury condominiums on top of it, right smack dab in the middle of Traverse City, which I mean, I'm not saying it, that's bad for growth, but it didn't fit the character of Traverse City. Traverse City is a small Midwestern coastal town that draws people from all over the world from large urban areas for its character. And maintaining our small town character was always a, a covenant of our master planning, that we, we wanted to grow, but we didn't want to change the feel and the character of this community. So we ended up doing a referendum um, around this development um, to see what the citizens thought. We, we forced a vote of, of, the, of this, this project before this, the people, and we went out and got signatures, put it on the ballot, and we actually the citizens voted it down overwhelmingly. So that was a very popular thing for me to be involved with, and a year later, everyone kept saying, you need to run for city commission. So with my involvement with human rights, with my involvement with pushing light and power to go more green with their renewable energy, and with you know being active about trying to manage our growth and development, people said, you've got a name now here. You really should run for city commission. And so I did. I actively ran a campaign. And, and running a campaign in a small town isn't that difficult, but being an outgoing person I mean, I go to the you know meetings. I go to events. I used to be the guy that sat in, in city commission meetings and sat in the audience and listened. I don't I don't watch TV. I don't have a TV. I haven't had TV for you know 30 years. It's not something that I you know it consumes my free time. So I used to go and sit and watch the meetings. A lot of it was on TV, but I went because I was interested in my community. And I would get up and speak at public comment on the issue, the various issues all along. So. Um, that kind of pushed me into running a, a campaign for city commissioner, and I did, and I won, and I was a top vote getter. So that's where I am now, and 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 my involvement. And after next year, I'll have spent 22 years basically volunteering for the city of Traverse City. Yeah, and you know, uh, I've certainly been, you know, I've I've been coming up here. I'm 35. I've come. I've been coming up here since I was born, and. Uh, I've just been amazed at the growth, right, that that we've seen over really the last, I'm going to say, 15 years. Um, you know, I'm I'm just amazed now with, you know, with the airport. You have direct flights to Washington, D.C., Dallas, New York City, Denver, Philadelphia, Phoenix. And I know there's a few uh, there's a few cities that I'm, uh, I haven't been able to to find yet. But um one of the things that I'm, I really wanted you to talk about, and you certainly talked a little bit about it, is, you know, the growth of this location, right? It's a, it's a, it's a small city, right? But it's growing fast. Housing is a big, big issue right now with, uh, you know, maybe people like myself living in Chicago, maybe, you know, somebody's purchasing a second home up here, whether it's a condo or a house, uh, you know, you're having to deal with Airbnb, and how do you, as a mayor and as an elected leader, how do you balance the needs and desires of wanting to grow your city, but also making sure that your 
cognizant of the roots of the city and making sure that the, the local community is is heard. Well, like you, I've also spent my entire life coming up here since I was born um, for summer vacation, as I said before. And, you know, it's kind of it's 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 our roots. Our, our heritage is this area. And so we have seen a lot of change. When I was young, I remember coming here from the East Coast and all my friends back east would say, why do you go to Michigan for summer vacation? And I don't think most people understand that Michigan is a big state. I mean, we have two separate peninsulas. You know, we have the Upper Peninsula and the Lower Peninsula. We have the greatest amount of fresh water, you know, in all of this country and, and basically the world all surrounding us. Um, and um, when, when I would say we'd go up to a, a lake cottage up in northern Michigan, they would think of these little tiny lakes. And they didn't realize our lakes are the size of many inland oceans. I mean, you don't see across them. I mean, they're, they're, they're vast, they're wide. And so, you know, that was always fun to have my friends come later in life and say, oh, now we know what you were talking about. Because the scenic beauty here with the agricultural themes, the, the, the sleeping bear dunes, um, the, the freshwater resources, the small hamlets all around um, that draw people here, um, they, they, were, they were enamored by it. They were like, wow, we really understand what you came here for. And so that was a challenge once I got here because I left a big city too. I grew up around New York City. I moved here from the Boston area. You know, many of the people that we associate with live in urban areas and, and a lot of people leave urban areas and come to small towns like Traverse City or other areas of the country and they tend to want what they left behind once they get here. They, they want to move here for the lifestyle and for the, the recreation and for the natural environment but once they get here, they realize they don't have some of the stores and some of the opportunities and the job opportunities and many things that you leave behind. So it, like you said, it's always a balance on how we grow our community. So um, like I said earlier, maintaining the character of our area has been a, a passion of mine to make sure that we, we grow reasonably and, and try to provide opportunities for as many people as we can, but not to destroy the reasons why people come here, which is the small town feel, the rural nature, the agricultural amenities, the freshwater protections. So <clears throat> it's, been, it's been very hard because Development, because now, as you said, with our or other with our nonstop flights that we're, we have, with our popularity, we have marketed ourselves through our National Cherry Festival, through our film festival, Michael Moore's Film Festival, through our beer and wine festival. We've become a very much a wine and beer area, and tourism has always been a mainstay of our economy, along with agriculture. But mo but most people, we all go on vacation and we say, well, we want to live here because it's so great. So all of this opportunity is bringing us, um, bringing people here, but once they come here, they wanna move here. And that's fine. We want people to move here. We want people to come and sustain our economy, but we don't always have what everybody wants, and we don't always have the housing that people want. Um, unfortunately, um, because of the popularity of the area, because of our growth, and because of the natural resources, the, the cultural resources with Interlochen and the Film Festival and Wharton at the Opera House and our Playhouse and all the casinos, we, we have a lot more cultural activities, a great library, a really great YMCA. We have the regional hospital. We have a lot of asset to the area. So we're a, a good place to move, and a lot of retirees are moving here. But it's the retirees from the corporate worlds that can afford to live here. Housing costs are really high in Traverse City. Because of our popularity, it's become very expensive to own real estate here. And because we are a service-based economy in general, 
we need service workers. We need the, the people to work in the hospitals. We need the people to work in the restaurants. We need the people to provide the, the regular labor to make the lifestyle for the people that move here work better for them. So that's been one of our big challenges is how do we balance the, the retiree class or the class that can afford to live here with the, the service industry that needs to live here to maintain that. So affordable housing has been on our docket for many, many years and something we've been trying to work with. And it's really hard to build affordable housing when your real estate market is so hot. So we do a lot of subsidized programs, pilots, payment in lieu of taxes. We, we're offering development um, um, the ability to maybe build a little bit bigger, change zoning a little bit to add more units on certain properties and give them a tax incentive to do so to allow that to come in to keep some of the rents lower. But every time we give a subsidy here, we have to make up it for it somewhere else. And that's what people don't seem to understand is our tax dollars are basically our property taxes, how we run government in, in, in Michigan. And so every time we give someone an, a, a tax relief or an abatement, we have to make that somewhere else up somewhere else and that's coming from you know the average joe living in traverse city and not everybody is wealthy in traverse city we have we, we've been a long-standing working class community and 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 growth but a lot of people downtown who 30 years ago bought houses for 60 and 70 thousand dollars are now turning around in today's market and able to sell them for four hundred thousand. wow so people are making money off their real estate but it's also pushing a class of people away from their small towns as i said i grew up on the east coast in, in many beautiful communities along the ocean and a lot of locals ended up getting pushed out because of taxes, because of growth, because of affordability issues. So it's really hard. So we're doing as much as we can to balance that. And we've done a lot. It's not enough in, in most people's eyes, but we're trying to balance that out. But regionally, Trevor City is the hub and we have township townships all around us and small cities all around us. And sometimes that's where you're going to find the affordable housing. So not everything's going to be walkable, living downtown um, and affordable. That's the challenge because a lot of young people, service, they want to live downtown. They want to live where you can walk to the bar, walk to the brew pub, walk to the winery outlet, you know, do the downtown stuff. But unfortunately, everything downtown is so expensive. It pushes a lot of people to the outskirts, which might only be a 15 or 20 minute drive. And when you live in an urban area, 15, 20 minutes is nothing. But when you live up north, that's a long drive. Um, but then again, you're driving through cherry orchards and vineyards with beautiful sweeping views of the, the bays and, and the lakes. So it's a really nice drive. But it's, it's, it's hard to balance um, providing something for everybody. And But we, we are active. We have a housing commission that's working on trying to build more affordable housing projects. We, we, we make that a priority at every planning session every year with new commissioners. We talk about what can we do. Housing is always close to the top of our list on what can we do about housing. But it's also, as I said earlier, dealing with a hot real estate market. It's really hard to balance. I mean, developers are investing here because it's, it's a good investment. I mean, we have something like 16 or 18 banks located here in Traverse City. There's a reason we have that, because the investment's good. So um, it's really hard to, like I said, balance that out. So we're doing everything, not everything, we're doing as much as we can to, to, to work towards making it more affordable. Not enough in many people's minds, but we're trying. You're very much the perfect advocate for for Traverse City, and you know I think it's you can clearly tell by uh, the the passion you have for this town that you know you're in re really a great spot, and I think that probably makes a lot of uh, a lot of people that live here very uh, happy and very content that they have a competent person dealing with 
the COVID-19 pandemic right now. Can you talk a little bit about how the pandemic has affected Traverse City and really the Northern Michigan community? Because a lot of the, you know, business that comes up here, it's tourism. And the hotels, the golf courses, the vineyards, they're really reliant on that summer season and that summer tourists to come up here uh, and and uh, uh, spend money at their business. How has that really impacted the the community this year? COVID's really thrown a wrench in everything for everybody all over this country and all over the world. And unfortunately, a health issue has been made a political issue. And I think that's where the lines have been drawn, and that's what makes it so difficult. Um, Traverse City um, and our governor um, in Michigan have worked really hard to try to balance out the science and the facts and the health-related issues to try to make, you know, our economy and our tourism work. Um, we know that we need to be taking precautions. We know that we need to be social distancing. We know that we need to be wearing masks. We know that we need to be smart about this. And so what we've tried to do in Traverse City is follow some of the executive orders that are allowing our businesses to open because we are a tourist-based economy. And and this we, we don't have the numbers yet of how everything's going to go. We're going to probably evaluate everything this, this, this fall. Um, but it's going to be challenging. We're seeing so many businesses. I mean, we, we all went on lockdown. Everything was closed. And a lot of downtown Traverse City is small owner-operated businesses, whether it be it a nice restaurant or a little retail establishment, gift store, um, a, 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 an accountant, a lawyer, someone in an upper-level office relying on, you know, the, the, the small nature of our community and, and, and the influx of not only just tourism but the people that live here. So when we locked down, it, it shut everything down. And that's been scary. We're seeing businesses closing. And a lot of people have have their, you know, entire, you know, personal finances wrapped into their business. So we're not only seeing people losing businesses, but we're seeing people possibly losing their homes and not being able to send their kids to school, that kind of thing. So what we've tried to do is um, make it a little bit more, make more opportunity for some of the downtown businesses to operate. So we've gone ahead and closed down the two blocks of our main front street to allow it to be a pedestrian zone. Um, so it would enable us to meet some of the guidelines of the executive orders that wanted, you know, capacity issues dealt with, distancing within restaurants. So we've, in, we've enabled the restaurants to move some of the tables out into the, you know, street so they could actually generate more people coming down to, to benefit from the foodie nature our town is. And that's been a challenge because, you know, restaurants rely on volume. And because we're a foodie town and we've got great wine and great beer and great spirits and everything going on, it's what attracts a lot of people here. But when all of a sudden you knock that down and you have 50% capacities, it's really hard for these businesses to actually make a go, especially when the rents downtown are expensive. And, and we really do have this opportunity of four or five months to really pull in the tourist up excuse me tourist dollars and um it's not that we're just a tourist town we're really trying to rebuild and revamp our town to become a year-round um um economy which we are i mean we have skiing and snowmobiling and hunting we have all these great opportunities in the wintertime but we also because of covid oddly enough many of our friends and people we know are able to 
work from wherever they're at. And I think we're realizing that a lot of people we know have come up north and they're starting to, they're still at work every day, but they're, because they have a computer and, a, and an internet connection and a phone line, they're able to continue working. So there's a lot of opportunity out there for people who can do that to work in those, those capacities. And I think it's going to maybe eventually change the whole way we look at sort of economic development and do we really need to be building big um, office buildings that house thousands of call center workers when many of the call center workers could be sitting at home. And I mean, I think we, Haggerty Insurance is a fine example. We have uh, a classic um, car and boat insurance company who's one of our larger employers downtown. Um, and they bring in thousands of employees to our area. But I think they're starting to realize that because of COVID, everybody's at home and operations are still working. So I think a lot of businesses are going to start revisiting their business models and figuring out how we can do this without having to build brick and mortar locations to house people. But that still is challenging for our downtown because every Haggerty employee that came to work at lunchtime would go downtown for a bite to eat or maybe take a few you know minutes to go shopping in one of our stores. So everything sort of you know relies on each other. So it's going to be a planning process that we're going to have to work towards to figure out how to make this work for everybody. But COVID has been very difficult for us, as it is everybody else, but we're trying to do what we, we can to help everyone um, work out. Um, with any luck, um, within time, hopefully sooner than later, we're going to have a vaccine. This is going to be past us. But in the meantime, I think we're doing what we can to really try to build opportunities for people in these challenging times while maintaining the, the social distancing and the mask wearing and, this, and, and, and keeping in mind the science around it and trying to forget about the politics. I mean, we hear all these stories about people getting upset about wearing masks and it's really not that big of a deal, but we also have to be very mindful of, of what we do in our, in our day. I'm still pretty much just going to one grocery store. Um, there's one food establishment I go to pick up to go food and trying to stick, stick, to myself more or less because I have an 80 plus year old father at home you know here that I'm I'm living with and I want to make sure that he's safe and um, when people complain about not wearing a mask I say I want to say to them sometimes well then don't go to the restaurant I mean but then again by not going to the restaurant isn't feeding the economy that we're trying to maintain in Traverse City so it's all this <coughs> frustrating frustrating circular sort of argument that how do we make things work in, a, in these challenging times but um, I think we're all sort of feeling in the dark a little bit, but trying to do it wisely. And we'll have to wait and see come fall, come spring next year, how it all full unfolds. Um, it will be very um, challenging for some, but others not. So. Yeah, yeah, and we're, you know, we're certainly hopeful that uh, a, uh, I think the only thing that's really gonna solve everything is just there, there is a, uh, a vaccine and there, there's, there's trust in the process, there's trust in the vaccine that it's gonna work. I wanna take you back to 2015. Um, there was this, a uh, Supreme Court case that not a lot of people know the name of, but uh, I did look it up, uh, Obergefell versus Hodges. And that might not mean a lot to our listeners. It does mean a lot to you. Uh, you are a gay man, and uh, you are now married to your uh, husband, Edgar. Um, and this particular Supreme Court case uh, made marriage legal between two people, not between one man and one woman. I just would love for you to talk about um, your thoughts on the case. I mean, obviously, you're you're going to be <laughs> very happy that that, that case uh, came to the decision it did, but... 
I just want to, you know, it's it's something that has been uh, has been on my mind having a couple of friends that are gay, and I've never had the conversation. What did it feel like when that case finally came down the way it did? Well, marriage equality has been something that we, you know, as a gay community have been fighting for from the beginning. I mean, we, we, we say in our local gay organization, our, our LGBTQ organizing groups, love is love. You know, you know, it doesn't matter who you love. It doesn't matter, you know, who you want to live with. It's like we're all the same. Um, it was an amazing thing to finally come down to um, some uh, some acceptance to the Supreme Court because it just made it so we feel better about ourselves. I mean, I have spent my entire life kind of feeling like a second-class citizen um, because my rights um, have not been equal to my heterosexual counterparts. I mean, I do remember as a child wondering, what is wrong with me? I didn't have the support networks that a lot of young people have today. It was very difficult to have develop understanding for who I am inside, and I've had to live this double life my, for, until I came out in college for a long time. And I, I granted, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of gay people do think of suicide. I can tell you I thought about it because I, I thought something was wrong with me. But as I said early on that, you know, human rights was a big part of, you know, my activism here in Traverse City. And when I'm moving from an area like Boston, that it was much more progressive than small town rural America. It was a challenge. I almost left um, within my first year living here because I remember going to vote at the old mission um, town hall my first time to vote and I'm a hundred percent voter record kind of person I believe in our, our rights to to vote and that's our process but I walked into the polling place and I was wearing a red ribbon um, AIDS ribbon on my lapel and the, the poll worker stopped me at the door and said you can't come in here with that political stuff and I was like what are you talking about and they said that that red, red ribbon that red ribbon like that's AIDS awareness. Um, that's you know support for people living with a with a health co you know compromised situation. And what's political about it? I know it was made political back in the day, but would it have been different if I was wearing a yellow ribbon, a purple ribbon, that kind of thing? But but that's really what charged me to say, wait a minute, we need to, you know step back here and do what's right. I, I got involved through AIDS awareness here in Traverse City. I ran our HIV AIDS service organization for 10 years. I've also worked for Planned Parenthood on advocacy issues because women's rights and women's um, um, ability to be treated equally as well is huge on my list too. So in, in, I mean, human rights, women's rights, environmental um, and renewable energy, all those things have been you know areas of, of focus for me. But it was really great to see because I was one of the handful of people that would go to city commission meetings and argue for our human rights and argue for and with our human rights commission to being protecting everybody and making sure everyone's created equal. And it was a hard, hard thing to do here in Traverse City because this was a mostly rural population. People, I realized, I mean, even with the, the cultural differences, a lot of the people I knew up here after talking to them, they, they still used the N-word when they were talking about people of color up here when I first moved here, and that was really challenging for me coming from an East Coast area. where we still, Race has always been an issue, but it wasn't so much in some of our bigger cities. But it was a challenge. But I came to realize that most of the people I was associating with that are from Traverse City, not all, but they had never been south of Grand Rapids. And they grew up with the white flight from Detroit and the riots of Detroit, and all they saw was the negative news about the white and black relationships. So they didn't really know the issues they just saw what was put before them on tv 
And this is a pretty homogenous white community. So it was difficult coming here um, then. And those, those are all reasons why I found it hard to be here. But I'm kind of, that was reasons why I, just, I stayed, because I could make a difference. I mean, I felt comfortable in my skin. I was able to be an out gay man that supports diversity of race and color and, and gender. And so having a voice and, 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 and finding the voices all around me and bringing us together as a group really helped that. And I've always said, I worked, I've worked a lot of nonprofits in Traverse City, and I realized that I've met some of the neatest people working in nonprofit, the caring people. And, and marriage equality is sort of the icing on the cake for us right now because it's, it's, it's taking us to a new level to show that we do care about everybody, we do support everybody, and now I'm happily married and we're excited to have a, a life together. And, and hopefully, this in the next 10 years or less, this isn't gonna be an issue for anybody anywhere. I mean, it's like, as I said, love is love. Who cares who you love or who you sleep with or who you want to spend your life with. It's like, it's in, in a way none of your business. And frankly, I feel as an advocate for all these different communities that I, I'm an upstanding citizen. I mean, I, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. And I, I know this brings you to your next topic, which I think is Mayor Pete and, yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. South Bend. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, some of the uh, some of the people that listen to to the podcast, you know, they know that I was I ran as a delegate for Mayor Pete in our congressional district back in in Illinois, and um, you know, I just I, I I just very much identified with his message, uh, and you know, I I love what he represents for this country. He represents progress for a group of people that um, you know really haven't been treated as equal citizens. Um, how did it feel to have an openly gay man run for president and also have his husband right next to him? And the third thing I'm going to ask you on this is, you know, he didn't just run for president. He won the Iowa caucuses. He finished second in New Hampshire. Talk about just the pride that you have in that you had a gay man run for president and do well. Not only did we have a gay man run for president and do well, but his husband, Chastin's from Traverse City. And that's I was hoping you were going to say that that was really funny because I mean, I I got to know um, the, the campaign and and really followed it. And really, I jumped on board, too. I was like, whatever I can do, this is a great and not just because he was gay, but he was a very outgoing, smart, level headed guy who believed in a lot of the issues and policies that we were all working towards. It wasn't I mean, unfortunately, his campaign was framed around him being gay. And that's fine, but when, when are we gonna get rid of that moniker? And it's like, we're all, it doesn't matter what sexuality you are. I mean, right now we have a misogynist, racist, crazy person leading our country. That doesn't seem to bother the Christians, but all of a sudden a gay man, that bothered some, some religious organizations, that was so, so weird. But I, I, my, my husband's from Elkhart, Indiana, which is about three and a half hours south of here. And we've been dating for over four years. And I used to go down there and say, hey, you want to meet the mayor of, of, of South Bend? I mean, I could arrange a meeting. Being the mayor of Traverse City, I said, it'd be fun to maybe just connect. And my, my, my partner at the time, he said, well, why would we want to do that, blah, blah, blah. But as soon as he put his name out there and became, you know, to run for president of the United States, my partner, my, now my husband would say, well, I want to meet him now. It's like, well, we had our chance. I, I think his schedule's a bit filled. Um, but but we, we, Chaston came to Traverse City a number of times, and I know um, Mayor Pete came up 
try to to try to have a little bit of R and R because when you're running from for president, you you don't you don't get a break, and it's it's a very challenging thing. I mean, I give everyone credit who runs for a political office, especially at those levels, because your privacy goes out the window. You don't you don't have much of a personal life unless you have a place to be cloistered or seclude yourself. And so I was really proud to see someone like Mayor Pete put his hat in the ring, run a clean campaign have a clean, valid response to everything, to be able to shed the, 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 the crap that was thrown his way every step of the way, every campaign stop. He had the negative and the argumentative and the, and the negative nastiness about being gay or some of it. But he was so level-headed and professional about it all. That's what I think impressed a lot of us was like he could deal with this stuff. I mean, he didn't let it get personal. He didn't – he was able just to brush that off his shoulder and say – these are the issues. Those are personal things. We don't need to be dealing with that. Let's deal with the issues. And, and so the, the idea of, I mean, we had our first black president. Um, we're hoping to eventually have a, a woman president. And wouldn't it be great to have a gay president? I mean, but that doesn't frame his, his platform. But it was exciting to know that we've moved ourselves into a more a level of acceptance from being hated and disliked years and years ago and, and treated horribly to having a candidate that's running for the presidency of this country. We've come a long way to have that and to have good success all over this country. I mean, he did get railroaded in some areas, but, but to have the popularity, to have the diverse supporters come together to support his campaign, that was really impressive. So very, very exciting. And, 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 and I hope we're not, we haven't seen the last of Mayor Pete. We're going to see something from him. And hopefully in a new administration next year, we might see some cabinet level offerings maybe to people like Mayor Pete and some of the other candidates that we all, you know, supported and enjoyed running when they did. Yeah, we can certainly, we can certainly hope for that. Well, um, it's been great chatting with you. The last question is a question I ask to all of our guests is, um, could you give us some advice to to our listeners who want to get involved in their community but aren't sure how? You know, uh, you know, I always say if you're if you're passionate about public policy, do what you do. Get involved as a commissioner. Uh, you know, sit on a parks and rec board. Run for public office in your community. That may not be something that our listeners are comfortable with, but you know, talk a little bit about you know how our listeners can get involved in their community and, and, and what advice would you have for them? I mean, there's opportunities for everybody, and I say don't be afraid to stick your neck out. You've got nonprofit organizations that are all out there working on policy issues that you might be aware of. You've got boards and commissions in your local communities, whether it be township, county, or municipal government, that you might be able to volunteer for and, and, and apply for a position. If it's human rights, if it's environmental policy, if it's planning, zoning, there's, um, there's all sorts of committees that you can get involved with. You can volunteer, you can get on a board or, or a committee, you could run a campaign, but um, that's how I did. I got involved. I, I paid attention. I mean, I read the newspaper every morning. I, I, I pay attention to the news. I follow my community. I mean, I was raised as my grandfather was mayor of the town I'm from in Ohio for 43 years. So I was raised around the public service realm, and it was always um, 
sort of encouraged my family to be involved. I mean, as a kid doing the crop walks and raising money for, you know, the hungry, um, you know, working at the at the youth center, I remember in high school, flipping hamburgers and cooking hot dogs for the kids at the youth center. I mean, just being involved, um, you know, being volunteering at summer camp, you know, that kind of thing. You know, and that there's there's all sorts of opportunities for people in your own community to get involved with. Pick pick your issue. And with, with, with modern technology and Google, you can find so much about your community just on your little phone in your pocket. So there's ways to um, get involved on many levels and many issues. But don't be afraid to be involved in, in local politics because that's the heartbeat of, of your community. And as we all have been saying, we've been hearing it a lot in general more recently City commissioners and mayors, we're doing the hard work. We're the boots on the ground working with our communities to set policy regionally that hopefully moves up the scale through your representatives, your Congress, your Senate, your everything up to the top. So um, a lot of people say that mayors and city councils are doing the hard work and making the change that eventually your state and federal governments will start paying attention to. Um, so you getting anyone getting involved on the local level is a good thing, and your work is very important because that's the boots on the ground, the grassroots, the, where it all gets started. Even our neighborhood associations, many communities have neighborhood associations. Search that out. Go to a meeting. You know, you might have a traffic issue or a stop sign issue or a trail issue in your community. Well, there's organizations out there sort of trying to figure out how we make those things better. We have there's there's so much to do. Um, you do have to, to search it out. Go visit your city clerk or your township um, clerk or supervisor and ask what opportunities there are. I mean, you just you can walk into office. Most of the employees that work for government are very kind and very helpful. You can you can ask them what boards and commissions are there. What what areas of concern? Um, apply for a board or commission. So get on a board and commission and and serve some time and and work on a project. Park, park, park projects um, are out there. I mean, a lot of people get involved in Park and Rec. I was on Park and Rec because I cared about our open space protection and wanted to advance, you know, having outside recreation in our in our metro park system here in Traverse City. So um, that's kind of what got me and in, in, in started in this, along with you know, working on renewable energies with wind generation and, and human rights issues. So it's it's taking your concerns, your ideas, your passions, and just putting them in place where they're needed and and they're needed. We need volunteers. We need support. It's I don't I hate to say sometimes it's thankless work, but it's very valid and it's very fulfilling and it's important to do so. And please remember that it's a slow process. Getting anything done in politics takes forever. A lot of us get involved in our first term. We're like pushing, pushing, pushing. Let's do this. Let's do that. Well, you can't always get things done in a year or two. Sometimes it's you're in it for the long haul, and it takes years to get things done. But don't be discouraged because every vote that's turned down, you generate more supporters on your side to help you push it along the next time. So. Um, just, just, I just said, just, just be aware of your community. Get involved in your community. You know, watch your meetings on TV. Get to know the players. Call your local commissioner. Call your township supervisor. Call your county commissioner. Be engaged. Work with them. Um, don't be angry. Um, have a, have a, put on your happy face and work, work with them. I mean, it's easy to be angry in this, this world, but anger doesn't get you anywhere. You kind of have to be respectful and mindful of the process and work through the process. Not always easy, but, but you can do it. And, and there's lots of opportunity um, to be involved. So just, just search it out.
I love it, Jim. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Um, clearly, you know, you're, you've just got a ton of passion for your community. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here is trying to ident- identify people that have a passion for their community, are involved in their community, uh, and want to see their community succeed. So thanks so much again for being on the podcast. And uh, I have a feeling that I'm going to be calling you again for, uh, for another uh, episode here in the not too distant future. Well, thanks for having me, Phil. Um, I'm glad we got to get together. Um, Our families have known each other for a long time, and I I really appreciate this opportunity for us to talk more closely. I mean, we we work together. Your dad and I work together. Your mom's involved with our our organization out here, and so it's it's really really great to be um, together. Thanks, Jim. If you know someone who should be featured on an upcoming show, email us at uncommondemocracy at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening to Uncommon Democracy. 